and welcome back to the Battery Power Podcast Network. My name is Chris Willis, and I'm again joined by my co-host, Stephen Talbert. Stephen, how are you doing tonight? What's up, Chris? It's good to be back with you, buddy. It's always fun to do one of these. I've been looking forward to this one just because we have we have a ton to get to. It's going to be kind of – it's probably going to be our longest show tonight just because we got so much to get to. But, yeah, it's always good to be back. The team's playing well, so it's it's fun to do these. Yeah, and we've got a little housekeeping off the top. Uh, we don't, I think we've decided on a new podcast name, uh, you know, after I think this is our 12th episode after being unnamed, uh, you know, for this long. So, uh, you know, if you want to if you want to announce that, go ahead. Yeah. So it was obviously a, a journey to get here. We, like you said, we've been doing this for 12 episodes and kind of going on three months now. And we didn't really we couldn't really figure out a name. And we got a ton of suggestions and you guys were awesome. Just you kept pouring in suggestions. And, but there was one that I, I always kind of stuck with me that just sounded like a really good podcast name for a baseball podcast. And I knew that there was another podcast that had this name. So I wanted to make sure that it was an inactive podcast that, and, and they haven't, they haven't recorded in a while. So, but we're going to go with the name, a podcast to be named later uh, for our official podcast name, PTBNL, obviously for baseball fans who know, you know, that's the, that's the player to be named later acronym. And so the fact that we hadn't named this podcast in like three months and 12 episodes, it just, it made it even better. Um, honestly, I just, there were some other ones that were in the race and and kind of got down to the wire, but the more I thought about it, just, you know, having that PT BNL uh, acronym and, and podcast to be named name later was just too perfect to pass up. So that's what we're going to go with. Yeah, I like it. Uh, it had almost come a, a little bit of a running joke uh, around our Slack room, you know, that we hadn't named this thing yet. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, over the years, we've had ideas for podcasts. I've wanted to do this for a long time. Um, I'm glad you and I didn't wait around to name it before we did it. We just kind of dove in and let it let everything take care of itself. And it's been a lot of fun every week. And we appreciate all the good feedback we've gotten and support that we've gotten from you guys. So, you know, we're excited to do this uh, through the postseason and then, you know, through the offseason. Uh, it's uh, It's been one of the highlights of my week. Uh, so, you know, I appreciate you coming on with me and doing this. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I didn't know what to expect. And obviously we just kind of jumped in and, and figured it out as we go. And we've, you know, we've improved it little by little every week. And we've gotten a lot of our audio issues fixed and a lot of our, you know, kind of the early bugs that every podcast goes through. And I do appreciate the the fans who've been incredibly, um, you know, they've been incredibly kind with their time in terms of downloading the podcast and listening and giving feedback. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's really cool to see. And, I have to go back and look at my mentions. I know a few people recommended that name specifically to me uh, more than once. So I know more than one person did it. So I'll, I'll have to go back and look through my mentions on Twitter to see who the first one was. And I'll give them a, you know, I'll give them a shout out on Twitter or something, but yeah, a podcast to be named later. That's the, that's the official name. Yeah, sounds good. Um, we know that last week's episode was uh, probably our shortest, I think. Uh, yeah, we didn't plan it that way. It just kind of worked out. But we're loaded this week. We've got a lot to talk about, so we're going to get right into it. Yeah, let's do it. I think the biggest uh, one of the biggest storylines right now, uh, besides just how well the Braves are playing, and we'll get to that here shortly, but uh, Ronald Acuna is back in the lineup, and he's, um, he's he started at DH for seven straight games now. And, uh, you know, just kind of looking at the way things are going out, uh, it kind of feels like that's going to be more the norm 
over this final month of the season. Uh, I do think he'll probably still get some time in the outfield, but I think for the most part, he's going to be relegated to the DH, uh, which is significant. You know, you hope by the postseason that they'll be uh, a little more comfortable about getting him out there. But I think it's, I think the focus is just, uh, you know, keeping that, keeping that knee healthy. And I think, uh, you know, Ronald's uh, own words, you know, he's just still dealing with soreness and, uh, you know, knowing that's just one of those things that you just got to work through. But there's some ripple effects by having uh, Ronald at DH. But, uh, you know, do you, what do you think? Do you think, um, you think that's, this is kind of going to be the norm for the final month of the season? Um, or do you think, you know, we're eventually just going to see him back in the outfield? Yeah, it's, I do think it's going to be the norm going forward. I think he's had, you know, enough kind of discomfort in the knee over the last few weeks that, you know, they basically had to decide between is it better to have him DH and all the ripple effects that come with that that we'll get to in a second and make sure you still have his bat in the lineup or put him on the IL or, you know, not play him at all. And obviously you'd rather have his bat in the lineup even if he's not having a, a typical – Ronald Acuna Jr. year, he's still, I mean, he's still got a 120 WRC plus. He's still a good hitter. He's still a good player. And you're better when he's in there versus when he's not. So, you know, they obviously decided to just DH him. And I am surprised a little bit that this wasn't the plan like in May, you know, or June. I don't really, I, I still don't fully understand why they abandoned their plan for him so, so quickly. Like, I understand he felt good, but like, we talked about this on last week's episode, I think, but, you know, originally he was going to play or he wasn't going to play the outfield for like two months until he got to a one-year post-op. And he was playing the outfield like game one of his rehab assignment. Like it was really strange to me. And, you know, he was running, he was stealing bases at a level, basically, you know, he was stealing at bases at a higher level after the injury than he was before. It was very weird. It was all very strange to me that they just kind of let him go and run as much as he wants and play the outfield a bunch. And and now they're kind of paying the penalty for that. You know, he's his knee is hurt. You know, he's got – I think he's got some soreness, some tendonitis that's kind of normal after, you know, after the injury that he had. And so they're going to have to back it down now. And it would have made a lot more sense to do it in reverse where you kind of start slow in, you know, June and July and then try to build up to August and September. But – you know, they didn't do that. They kind of went full bore right out of the gate. And and I think it's caught up with them a little bit. And so he's going to have to DH. And like you said, there's some pretty big ripple effects that come with that. You know, I, I guess I was guilty of this too. You know, I've seen those videos of him in spring training and right before spring training. And I, I kind of thought, you know, he might be ready for opening day. Not maybe not to play the outfield every single day, but to, you know, to at least be the DH or, you know, and be in the lineup at times. They at least so slow played that. But, you know, I think he was feeling so good. You know, they didn't feel like they needed to hold him back. It is a, it is, you know, looking back on it now, you think maybe if they'd handled this a little different, um, uh, you know, maybe things would be different now, but, you know, again, too, you know, this is a sub 500 under 500 team, you know, at the end of May, uh, I think there was some desperation involved there too, as well, especially with how that outfield looked early on. But, uh, you know, it, to me, I like, I like what I've seen from him, uh, since in this stretch where he's been DH and he looks like he's getting more comfortable at the plate again. And, uh, you know, hopefully this will keep him in keep him straight in the lineup and, uh, you know, he can get rolling because if he does, you know, he can play a, a huge part in this division race down the down the final weeks of the season. But as you alluded to, you know, having him at the DH does 
cause there are some significant ripple effects. Uh, you know, left field as an as a whole has been a black hole all season. I'll let you talk a little bit more about that because you you were the one that dropped that stat into our into our slack. But uh, having Acuna at the DH means that uh, two of Eddie Rosario, Robbie Grossman, or Marcelo Zuna. Uh, is has been in the outfield lately you know if you know we knew Eddie Rosario got off to a terrible start um but I was I was looking today since he's come back he's hitting 221 with a two 267 on base percentage and a 72 weighted runs created plus since returning from the eye surgery he's been terrible Robbie Grossman um he's got a 77 weighted runs created plus but he's hitting just 198 since since the trade from Detroit uh he's had some big moments but you know again overall you know he's not been good either and then you know we've we've taught our favorite podcast subject Marcelo Zuna uh you know the, you know what kind of baggage that is he's been in the lineup um every day for the last uh, five games i think has hit better, better seven for sixteen. That's much better than what we were seeing early on. Um, but you know, having him in left field is like playing a DH in in the outfield. It hasn't hurt yet, but you know, it will at some point. It, we saw it at start of the season. Uh, so it's kind of a it's kind of a grim <laughs> grim situation, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. You have got Michael Harris in that outfield, and then you know, two pretty big question marks when Acuna's at DH. Um, but you know, I mean, this is a situation they've, they've been dealt and, uh, you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to figure it out. It's, you know, this is the main reason why Acuna DHing is not ideal is because, you know, and we talked about this, or I've been talking about this really all season. I think you and I have talked about it a couple of times, but you know, it it was one of the reasons I wasn't a huge fan of going out and signing Eddie Rosario in the off season was because you already had Marcelo Zuna who can't play in the outfield you know, you knew Ronald Acuna Jr. was not going to be able to play in the outfield a ton. And so, you know, not having decent defensive outfielders was going to be an issue. And, you know, Michael Harris came up and saved their bacon a little bit in that sense because, you know, he's just an elite defensive center fielder. And I don't think any of us were planning on him being up this soon and playing this well. And, you know, he changed the equation for them quite a bit in the outfield and it's kind of allowed them to be, you know, a little more lenient with some of the guys they play on the corners. But, yeah, when Acuna DH is, you know, it's it's Ozuna, it's Rosario. You know, Grossman's not terrible out there. He's probably the best of the three, you know, or you've got to play, you know, you got to sacrifice offense altogether and play somebody like Heredia. So, you know, and that's that's where that's the penalty, right? That's that's the trade-off of of DH and Acuna. You get his bat in his lineup and, and that's obviously a positive, but it means one of those guys or or I'm sorry, two of those guys have to play uh outfield corner outfield spots and that's that's just not ideal and like you were saying you know the the left field spot has been an issue really all year the Braves are I don't know how many people know this but the Braves are actually dead last in baseball and in F war when it comes to left fielders and I think Brad was talking about this little on Twitter and and obviously we've been talking about it in our Slack group for a couple days but yeah it's just been kind of one guy after another that's really struggled whether it was Adam Duvall early or you know, Eddie Rosario early or Marcelo Zuna early or, you know, Robbie Grossman's put together some strong at bats. I think he's got like a 14% walk rate since joining the team, um, which is obviously very good. But he when he's putting the ball in play, um, you know, it's just not he's not getting a ton of results. He's He's got a 198 
average 309 OBP, uh, 309 slugging, and that's kind of where it really hurts is he's just really not hitting for much power. And so, you know, left field's just been kind of an enigma all year. You know, they tried Orlando Garcia out there at one point. They tried Contreras out there at one point. Like, they've just really been throwing, you know, throwing crap against the wall and, and seeing what sticks. And unfortunately, no, nothing has really stuck so far. So, you know, the season has gone extraordinarily well when you think about the fact that they've gotten so little you know, Duvall was obviously out for the year, but before that, he wasn't playing up to his level. You know, Marcelo Zuna has obviously been very bad. Uh, Eddie Rosario has been very bad. You know, those were three guys that the Braves at the beginning of the year were really counting on. I mean, that was like your, I don't know, five, six, seven hitters, you know, in the opening day lineup. I'd have to go back and look. But, mm -hmm. you know, those guys were supposed to be really, really good. And, and to have gotten so little from that group, and be where they are in the standings is actually pretty impressive. And so if they can get left field figured out, if I don't really want to watch it, but if Marcelo Zuna can figure something out this last month, if Robbie Grossman can figure something out, if Eddie Rosario can finally wake up, then this team would go to a whole nother level because they've basically been playing, they've been playing with the pretty much a replacement level player in left field the entire season. Yeah, and uh, I mean those the the F four uh, ranking for uh, left field was uh, startling, and I mean really and truly the numbers are even worse because the way they they were doing that they they've lumped all of Ozuna's home runs into that uh, into that deal, and you know several of his came uh, as a DH. I mean if you separate if you separate the DH uh, plate appearances out from that, I think that group's even worse. Um, you know, Adam Duvall was struggling early on. He would look pretty good at, at this point, just yeah. for nothing else but his defensive ability. And, and you know, and I'm not not really bagging on Grossman. And I don't mind. I think Eddie Rosario is a much better left fielder than he is right fielder. But you know, if Zuna's in left, then uh, you know Eddie's got to play right, or you know, it's it's Grossman out there. So, you know, and I think it's intriguing. Um, I was at the game last week uh, and tweeted about this, but uh, you know, and, and, uh, Von Grissom and William Contreras were actually taking fly balls in the outfield and uh brian snicker was asked about it and he said you know they're just exploring options uh i do think it will be interesting to see what happens with grissom uh if we see him out there in that out in the outfield uh, a little bit just because uh when ozzy comes back you know that's a that's the buzz on twitter that's everything you know anytime you tweet about the outfield that's what you get back just put grissom out there but you know i think it's it's important to note you know he's never played there you know he's never played an in and out there uh he's athletic i mean if ozuna can play left field you know i'm reasonably confident that von grissom could do do so at an adequate level but you know i mean still i mean you're sitting here we're in the middle of a pennant race you know and you're, you're we're really considering running a guy out there that's not that's never played there before you know but the way he's hit the way he's hit the ball you know that may be a way to keep his bat in the lineup i don't know i mean like i said if, if ozuna continues to hit then i think you know whether we like it or not he's going to be out there um but you know just going by you know the a season's worth of numbers dating back to last year you know i'm just not confident that this hot streak's going to carry over you know uh, for for the remainder of the season and into the postseason it's kind of funny because you looked at all those outfielders that the Braves had at the start of the year, you know, Rosario and Duvall and Ozuna and Alex Dickerson. People can remember that far back. He was on the team at one point. And, you know, if you had told me that the guy who everybody wants to play left field was the guy who was the triple or the single A shortstop, you know, yeah. when the season started, then I mean, that's basically where we are. Right? He started the year as a shortstop in Rome. And so, that's kind of how bad that group has played collectively. There's some numbers on his profile that are definitely going to regress. He's not, you know, he's not going to hit 380 
that's not his true talent level. And and so you do worry about putting too much pressure on him and, and depending on him too much. But, and I think Brad and, and Scott talked about this on the main show, but and I think you just mentioned it yourself. If Marcelo Zuna or Eddie Rosario can play left, then I'm pretty certain that Von Grissom can at least play it to a passable level, at, at least at the level that they play it. And so I really do think that's what they're going to do. You know, Ozzy's not going to come back and play every day, so it's not going to be a, a situation where Vaughn's only in left. But, you know, unless he just completely falls back down to earth between now and when Ozzy gets back, then, yeah, I think that is what they're going to do. I don't think they're going to do Contreras. I think that's – they tried that like two games and it, it did not go well. The Braves don't have a ton of catching depth anyway, so I don't really want him running around in my field. But I think that's probably an emergency thing, if anything else. But – yeah, I think it will be Vaughn at the end of the day, and we'll see how it goes. You know, he's played so well. You can't really argue the the process or the decision-making. You know, and I think it's important that they get a look at the, some of these uh, scenarios uh, down the stretch. I mean, obviously they want to win the division, but at the same time, we're as you mentioned last week, uh, you know, they're pretty assured of a playoff spot at this point. Uh, so you want to kind of have an idea – uh, before you start making those postseason roster decisions of what you got and what you can get away with and, uh, you know, what will work and what won't. And uh, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see down the stretch, you know, just been waiting on that Eddie Rosario hot streak now uh, since opening day. And it just it just hasn't come, you know, and in fact, and more and more, you know, he's starting to lose plate appearances to the uh, to Grossman and Ozuna. So, you know, I just don't know. It's, it feels like a lost year for him. But, you know, we've seen how hot he can get. So, you know, it, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's still coming. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Uh, shifting gears, you know, I mean, talked to I mentioned it just how well this team's playing, and and really, I mean, they've been doing this now since June first. But uh, you know, they actually tied for f- first place the other day, um, and uh, the Mets had a doubleheader sweep with the Pirates that put them back up a half a game. But they're going into Seattle Friday night, uh, a half game back, and e- dead even in the loss column since June first. The Braves are sixty three and twenty four. Uh, the Mets are fifty three and thirty four over that uh, stretch. They're nearly twenty games. Uh, above 500 and have lost 10 and a half games in the standings. You know, I know we, we live and die with every loss. And I mean, it's like everyone, everyone is just soul crushing. It seems, especially on Twitter, but I mean, it's unbelievable how well this team has played and, you know, and that's, and that's with that being said, you know, I can just remember two straight games in, in St. Louis that they had a lead 
you know, in the eighth or ninth inning, you know, I mean, that could easily be 65 and 22, you know, I mean, it's just absurd uh, to see a team, you know, just go on a, t- a complete tear like this, uh, you know, but I mean, that was pretty eye popping when I saw just how well the Mets have played, Oh, uh, you know, since June 1st and to, you know, to see the Braves be able to run them down was just, just kind of, it's kind of wild. Yeah. It's been, I mean, the Mets have not played bad baseball at all. I mean, they've been playing, 20 games over 500 baseball since June 1st. I mean, that's usually good enough to not only, you know, keep your lead, but usually extend your lead. I mean, that's, that's strong, strong baseball. And they've played, you know, 20 games over 500 and have lost 10 games in the standings in two, three and a half months. I mean, that's absurd. That's bananas. The level of baseball that the Braves have been playing. I mean, you don't ever see a long stretch like that. I think it's like a hundred over a full season. I think it's like a hundred and sixteen or hundred and seventeen win pace that the Braves have been on since June first, which is obviously crazy. And so, you know, it's it's why they're back in the race. You know, the Mets have not collapsed. The they they really haven't. They've had a couple of bad stretches. You know, they just had a bad stretch this week where they lost to some bad teams. You know, they lost three in a row that that kind of got the Braves back even, but Overall, they really haven't had a really bad stretch of games, and they've just they've the Braves have just been constantly applying pressure. I mean, every single series it seems like the Braves win at least two of three every single week. It seems like the Braves are going four and two at worst, five and one, or, or like this week they you know they've they've won seven in a row. They they haven't lost a game since we recorded our last podcast i mean we were we were we were talking on our last podcast as they were closing out that that uh second game against colorado and they haven't lost since so it's just been crazy and you know if the braves were in first place this whole time then there would be more talk about the pace that they're playing i think it's gone largely under the radar on the national media side because the braves have been in second place the whole time and so it's not it's not as visible or not as obvious but if the braves have been in first this whole time and playing this well this would be like national news, how the kind of pace the Braves are playing at. And it's why they're in the race. That's the only reason they're in the race. Cause like we said, the Mets are not, the Mets have not collapsed. They are not just, you know, giving the division away. The Braves are just chasing them down like week by week. And that's why with, you know, basically a month of games left to go, the Braves are only half a game out. Yeah. It does feel a little interesting just because, um, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, I think you and I, we were talking about like, we didn't feel like this was the, you know, the same old Mets as what we've seen. And, you know, they've proven that and they haven't collapsed. But, you know, I, I was sitting here today, I was thinking, you know, what if you were in that locker room? You're like, we're playing, you know, we're playing 20 games above 500 here. And, you know, our lead's getting smaller. Uh, you know, you got to feel like there's a little bit of pressure uh, mounting there. And then, you know, they've lost Max Scherzer. But with the, I think they actually called it fatigue in in his uh, in his side, but that was the same side that he had the bleak injury earlier in the season that caused him to miss, I think, nearly a month of time. He's eligible to return September nineteenth. You know, I, I just I feel like they're I feel like the Braves have so much momentum. I mean, you have to wait and see what happens in Seattle because the Mariners are playing good. And, uh, you know, and then San Francisco, I know the Giants aren't playing as as well, but that's a, you know, that's a tough park to go into. They've got some pitching. I haven't seen the matchups yet, but, you know, if you end up with Rodon or, uh, or Logan Webb there, you know, those are not going to be easy outs either. But I feel like if the Braves can just, you know, if they stay within this thing and come back home, um, I think if they ever take the lead, you know, 
I don't know. It may be the show may be over, you know, at that point uh, for New York, uh, just because, you know, the Braves have been in this situation before and we've seen them run, you know, pull away late. Um, So I think, you know, I I think this series in Seattle's, you know, is huge. And and a lot of the rest of this road trip is huge. And if I think if we remember right, you know, they had a big, huge road trip. Uh, West Coast trip last year, and it was kind of the same thing, you know, and uh, they kind of pulled, they got through it and then kind of pulled away. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, history repeats itself there. And the one saving grace for the Mets is going to be the fact that they just have, I mean, they have the easiest schedule in baseball in September. I mean, they just play absolutely nobody. I think they have one three-game series in Milwaukee and then one three-game series in Atlanta, and that's pretty much it in terms of like, high-level teams. Now, obviously, it's baseball. We saw this week you can lose to bad teams very quickly. I mean, the Mets lost three in a row to the the Nationals and the Pirates. So it can happen. It doesn't guarantee anything, but it does help when you're playing, you know, essentially triple-A teams. I mean, some of these teams are fielding just unbelievably bad rosters right now. So that's going to be their only saving grace is their schedule, but they certainly are feeling the pressure. I mean, you live in New York – you read that media every day, your lead is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. One thing that's probably helping them right now is the Yankees are almost just as bad. I mean, the Yankees have lost like 10 games off their division lead too. And so, you know, the, the pressure is probably evenly distributed between the two teams, but yeah, they're absolutely feeling the pressure. And especially if Max, I don't care what they say. Max is like 39 years old. There's no such thing as like a mild injury when you're 39 years old. So you know, it could, that could be serious. And, you know, the Mets don't have the deepest rotation in the world. We've seen like, you know, injuries have kind of done them in, in years past. And so they're absolutely feeling the pressure, you know, everybody declared the division over four months ago and here we are in September and it's half a game. So as long as the Braves just keep doing their job, just keep winning, keep applying pressure, you know, you've got three games at home against them, you know, at the end of, or at the beginning of October, and as long as you can kind of keep it within touch, then you know that, I mean, technically the Braves control their own destiny. We don't really talk about that in baseball a lot because it doesn't really work that way. You're not going to win every game. But technically, as long as the Braves keep it within three until they get to that series where they play the Mets head-to-head, they control their own destiny. You know, they they can they control if they make the playoffs or don't. So just keep applying pressure and see what happens. You know, I think for me with them – I mean, we, they're a good club and we've said that all, you know, since the start of the season. And, uh, but I think, you know, it, it, for me, it's not just, you know, DeGrom and Scherzer. I mean, we know, we know if Max is healthy and and can get back, you know, even him uh, slightly less than hundred percent, Max Scherzer still better than most pitchers in the league, you know, but I think for me, it's what's behind them. You know, if your Taiwan Walkers and you know these other guys that are the Chris Bassett who's pitched well all year, I think you know though the rest of that rotation makes or breaks them uh, in this division race. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, you don't want to get into a three game series or even a five game series with uh, Scherzer and Degrom. I mean, that's that's going to be a tough that's going to be a tough out for anybody. And you know, I'm I'm kind of I'm hoping. That's one reason I would like to see the Braves kind of overtake them and make some put some distance between the two teams, just because you know you come into that last series and you know they've got they've got uh, Degrom, Scherzer, and Bassett lined up. You know, I mean, I don't really care how good you play. You know, that's a that's going to be a tall order. And you know, I, I would guess if the season's on the line, you know, you're not going to see the um, 
you're not going to see the reins uh, pulled on Degrom the way we kind of have, you know, in his first first few starts. So, uh, you know, it's it's there. But I mean, the Braves have caught him now, you know. And I mean, if if they can just like I said, if they can get through this road trip, the rest of this road trip, you know, it's it's all NL East the rest of the way. And um, you know, you kind of control you, like you said. I I kind of feel the same. I think they kind of control their own destiny here. You know who they remind me of, Chris? I just thought about this as you were describing them. You know who they remind me of? They remind me of the Brewers last year. Yeah. You know, the Brewers had Corbin Burns and, and Brandon Woodruff at the top of that rotation that was just nasty. And then they had Josh Hader and Devin Williams at the back end who were nasty. And the offense was kind of inconsistent, and that was kind of their weakness. And But, you know, their run prevention was so good that that's how they won games. And, you know, it's very similar with, you know, DeGrom and Scherzer at the top and, Obviously, they've got Diaz at the back end and, you know, their offense can be inconsistent and that's probably the weakest part of the team. And it does remind me a lot of that Milwaukee team last year that the Braves obviously ended up beating in the NLDS. But so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, the Braves match up with anybody because the Braves can hit home runs and they can pitch. And, you know, when you get to the postseason, if you hit home runs and you could pitch, then you can beat anybody. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, as we was getting ready to record this, we had uh, we had a little bit of uh, Major League Baseball news. Actually, um, they were talking about rule changes. Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich had a had an article come out in the Athletic today that I thought was um, interesting. Um, I'm sure you and I will dive deeper into this as the, once the off season's here. Uh, but there, it looks like there's a good chance that we're going to get uh, some pretty re- significant rule changes for the 2023 season. Uh, the re- Per the report, it says that uh, the vote is coming as soon as tomorrow. And it's an 11-person committee, which conveniently uh, has the commissioner's office has a majority of seats. Uh, you know, I'm sure that's not by accident. And, you know, some of the stuff is is things that we've been talking about. But we as we were kind of dissecting it, um, there was a couple of things that, that kind of jumped out at me. And I think the biggest, before I really get into a rant uh, at the end of this, but the biggest thing is uh, pace of play, which has been a hot button topic for the commissioner's office for I don't know how many years now, but a lot, but it seems like we're getting really, really close to having a um, pitch clock. Uh, there's a couple of things in here that was a little eye popping. I watched some uh, minor league baseball at Rome with the pitch clock. I honestly loved it. Uh, I was surprised a little bit. There's a couple of things in here that I, uh, it's a little more suspect. It looks like they're going to limit the amount of times a pitcher can throw to first base, which I think is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I kind of interested. You pointed that out in Slack. So I kind of like to hear what you got, what you think about that. But, you know, I'm all for, um, I'm all for improving the pace of play. Uh, you know, I think pitchers get a bad rap. I think a lot of it's the hitters. You know, they won't get in the box. They step out of the box. You know, I think this will give the umpires uh, the ability to to speed the game up. But, yeah, it's pretty elaborate. Uh, but, you know, what, what was your thoughts with the pitch clock? I think the pitch clock is going to end up being one of those things that everybody just kind of agrees with at the end. Like once we've had this for a few years, you know, because on its face it sounds kind of wonky, you know, putting a – 
kind of a shot clock on, on how quickly you can throw or how quickly you have to throw a pitch, but there's just too much wasted time, you know, between pitches in a baseball game. I mean, there really is. And the only reason it's all there is because it's allowed to be there. And I really don't have any problem with putting a, a clock on it. Like get on the mound, get in the box and let's go. Like there's no reason to do, you know, the you know, seven step dance, you know, before you step in the box and there's no reason to do 12 laps around the mound before you get back on the mound, just get on the mound, get in the box and let's play. And so, yeah, I don't have any problem with the pitch clock unless it gets crazy, you know, and yeah, limiting the amount of times a pitcher can throw over to first is just dumb. I, I can't stand that. That's that, that to me is going into like the hokey kind of nonsensical, nonsensical realm. Like that's, now you're affecting strategy in the game, right? I mean, telling pitchers to get on the mound and, and hitters to get in the box is just common sense. Like that's we should be doing that. But you know, if you've got a really fast base dealer on the, you know, standing on first and it's a big situation, you're telling me the guy can only throw over twice. I mean, that's just dumb. I mean, we, you get to a postseason game where every base can be the difference between somebody going home or you know advancing and. And we're going to tell the guy you can only throw over twice. That's I, I have a feeling that's not going to last very long because that's just dumb. But I have no problem with pitch clocks at all. And I, I think by the end of it, most people will get to the point where they're like, you know what? I didn't like that at first, but that was a really good call. And, you know, that's what happened with the DH. Even people that hated the DH and hated the idea of the DH for years will tell you now, like, yeah, we should have been doing this all along. Like, who wants to see, you know, a bunch of – you know, middle school level hitters hit against major league pitching all the time. You know, that's what we should have been doing from day one. So I think the pitch clock will be one of those things that's pretty popular. Yeah. And I mean, if you really want to see the depth that they're going into this, uh, you know, if you, you scroll down on the, on this article, I mean, uh, walk up music cannot exceed 10 seconds, you know, extending <laughs> inning events like God play us America in the seventh inning, uh, can only can, has to be approved. Uh, with, from the by the commissioner's office in, in advance. I mean, they're they're are uh, our our tuxedos allowed? Yeah, I, can, can I mean, who tuxedos? knows? I mean, but they're they're you know, if you're questioning how serious they are, I agree with you. I mean, I think hopefully we this is a story the first week or two, and then it kind of fades to the background, and it just is, and that's kind of the way I felt at Rome. You know, I I could see the clock. I could you know I was I, the novelty of the first couple innings. I was watching the clock. And by the middle of the game, I forgot about it, you know, but the game was yeah. moving fast. And then when the game's over and you look down at your watch and you're like, wow, you know, that was that was pretty quick. And, uh, you know, it's a big difference in what you've seen in the past. And I have no problem with that. My hope is that, you know, if you're going to do this, I hope that it, it blends to the background. You do not want to get into a big moment and have a game decided because somebody somebody didn't do the pitch clock or you get to the postseason and all of a sudden it's like a lot of rule changes over the years. The umpires just start to ignore it. And, uh, you know, yeah. just looking at how elaborate these, this is laid out. I don't think the commissioner's office is going to allow for it just to be ignored, but you know, I, I do think there's some, you know, I, I'm not sure what kind of consequences or things that are going to happen that they're not planning for. Um, but you know, I, the only thing in here that I hate is the the limited and throw over. That's like saying, hey, we're trying to bring the stolen base back in here and and this is how we're going to do it. Because, I mean, anybody, any decent base stealer is just going to try to get those two throws over. And then he's got, he's got that bag stolen because he doesn't have to worry about it, you know, at that yeah, that's, point. It's inc incredibly dumb. Yeah. Like, how, do, how does that even get 
like how does he even get past like the first meeting where like that's decided that's yeah. just so i mean and you know they're they're bringing in the larger bases and i mean that to me that's just one of those things that gets stuck in there you know and we're hoping nobody notices it you know almost to, almost to that point but i mean that's just that's the craziest thing that i've read in here but you know i agree with you i'm all for the pitch clock uh as far as that goes the one thing, the the one thing I'll add to that before you, I know you got to wait, <laughs> teed up here. So before you get to it, the one thing I'll add is, I do think that if they make, if they force players to do this all year long, where it becomes part of the routine, because baseball players are just creatures of habit. They they are absolute routine freaks. They they have they have the same routine every time, and if Major League Baseball and the umpires force players to do this, you know, get on them get on the mound, get in the box in a timely fashion. If they force them to do it all year long, then hopefully by the time we get to the postseason, it'll just be muscle memory at this point. And you don't have to worry about how strictly the umpires are enforcing it. That's kind of my, you know, best case scenario view of it. It, it just becomes so routine for the players. It just, you know, it, it's not even something that's really thought about anymore. Cause I, I do agree with you. If it's still something that they have to fight the players with into the postseason then you could see a scenario where it just gets ignored completely and, and guys are taking, you know, 45 seconds in between every pitch. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen and players just kind of adapt to it, make it part of the routine. And then it's not even a thought when we get to October. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's the hope as it is. Uh, now uh, also included in this is uh, restrictions on the shift. Uh, obviously we shouldn't be su- uh, um, surprised about that because, you know, there's been, there's probably been as much uh, discussion about the shift over the last couple of seasons as there has been about pace of play. Um, I'm going to read a couple of these things here. Honestly, I think if you're going to, if you're going to uh, relegate the shift or, or, you know, limit the shift, I think the way they're going to do it here is, is probably the right way to do it. Even though I have a problem with even doing it at all. The, uh, it says when the pitcher releases the ball, a minimum of four players besides the pitcher and the catcher must have both feet completely in front of the outer boundary of dirt and two fielders have to be on entirely on either side of second base. So basically what that's saying, you know, you're going to have a shortstop and a third baseman on the left side of the infield, a second baseman and a first baseman on the right side of the infield. You're no longer you're going to see three guys on on one side. I do think you could position that shortstop or that second baseman, you know, just to the right of the bag. And then once the pitcher releases his uh, pitch, you know, he could he would be free to move. Uh, but that is going to be a different look. Each team has to designate two infielders on each side of second base who may not switch sides during the game, except if there's a substitution. The penalty is the ball is dead unless a hitter reaches on a hit. You know, umpires have the discretion to penalize the fielding team, and these can be challenged. Uh, the pitch clock actually cannot be a challenge. You know, it's solely in the in the umpire's view. But, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't like it. I don't like, I think it's absurd that we have to, we have to get to this. You know, it's been a hot button topic for a long time. Every time a ball's hit where a position player would normally be standing, you know, we hear it on Twitter. We hear it from the announcers on TV, you know, crying about the shift. But, you know, the reality is uh, we wouldn't be uh, outlawing it if it didn't work. And it, it is very much working. And, um, you know, I just – I don't understand. You know, the, the last week during the homestand, you know, I was watching and, you know, it was – it was a there was a six-, seven-minute discussion on the shift. 
And uh, Chip Carey made the statement that uh, other sports have changed their playing rules and pointed out the defensive three seconds in the NBA as an example. But, you know, what Chip left out of that was the NBA had illegal defensive rules in place before the defensive three seconds came in. The defensive three seconds was when they allowed zone defenses, which was always a part of basketball at other levels. So, you know, I don't think that's the same thing. But if you want to keep that NBA comparison, you know, just look at the effect that, uh, you know, how the league has changed over the years. You know, the 80s was wide open, uh, a lot of offense. The 90s slowed down, you know, low scoring, you know, tons of defense. And then the three-point shot now has changed the game completely. And as uh, analytics has become more prevalent, you know, so I don't think the NBA is a good example because analytics are just as prevalent in basketball as they are in baseball. Uh, you know, the three-point shot arrived. The traditional low post player is gone. You know, you you can go to an AAU tournament now, a high school now. You see six, eight, six, nine guys that can't even post up. They don't know how to play with their back to the basket anymore because their teams don't ask them to do that. Flip side of that is, you know, you see six, one, six, two shooting guards now. They didn't exist in the eighties. You know, those those guys were in college, but they didn't make the pros because they couldn't they couldn't defend you know larger guys. But now, if you can shoot the three, you can carve out a long uh, career. A traditional big man. You know, you can't say the same thing. You know, is it is it better? I don't know. Uh, I think when they put it in, I doubt very seriously they thought they'd ever see 30 or 40 uh, three-point attempts per game. You know, and uh, uh, would it be the focal uh, point of the offense? I think today's game's exciting. I don't know that basketball traditionalists uh, like it. Now, I have a feeling if Chip was an NBA broadcaster uh, and a team gave up a three-on-one advantage uh, for on a layup for a wide-open corner three, I think he'd be upset about it, you know. But, you know, that doesn't fit the narrative. So, uh, I don't know. You know, in NBA, we used to see teams like the Spurs, you know, they zigged when the rest of the league zagged, you know. And, uh, you know, by the time the league caught up, they were already moving on to the next thing. I feel like in the MLB – uh, you know, we're just uh, – there are several smart franchises doing the exact same thing, but the rest of the league either doesn't want to invest or simply just doesn't – or is too lazy to change, doesn't want to change. And you see that in the broadcast booth too. I mean, you know, it's 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 become more and more common. So my opinion is if you don't want to change, then don't. But lose games as a result. You know, after the shift, what are we going to do? If offense doesn't come back, what are we going to do then? You know, I mean, or – you know, we're going to limit the amount of pitchers teams can use in a game or how hard they can throw or, you know, I mean, it's just absurd. Where does it end? So, you know, I, I just think we hear all the time that uh, hitters need to hit the ball the other way, and that isn't easy against today's guys. you got guys throwing 8, 98, 99. you got 93-mile-an-hour change-ups. you got, you know, sliders that are ungodly. But, you know, I think you can't do it. You can't do it with a fly ball launch angle approach. So maybe it's time to zag again. Maybe there's room for a contact approach in the game nowadays. You know, maybe the uh, you know, I, I think there's there's always rooms to adapt. I don't think you you should have to force that adaptation. You know, and uh, you know, I, I I think if you put these restrictions in, I think we're just going to see more of the launch angle revolution. Guys are just going to set back, uppercut, swing as hard as they can. And they're going to get more hits for it. You know, they're going to get they're going to get rewarded rewarded for it. But is it going to really the strikeouts are going to go up too? You know, is it really going to solve as much as they think? 
I'm not so sure. So, you know, I'm not so mad about going to limit the shift. I'm just mad because they think they need to, you know, if league wants more offense, then stop messing with the baseball. You know, I mean, that's been a story now for two straight seasons. So, you know, I, I think it's funny to a little bit because I mean, uh, you know, I know I've got an extreme view on this and uh, I think you and I actually disagree, which is notable because, uh, you know, I think first 11 podcasts episodes, I don't think we've disagreed on anything. Uh, but, you know, I don't mind a good discussion on it either, you know, and I reserve the right to come back this time next year and, uh, you know, say I was wrong. But, you know, you got to do better than telling me I'm tired of watching Austin Riley run from third base to the outfield as a reason for getting rid of the shift, you know, because that's just garbage and it's just lazy in my opinion. So, you know, there's just better things to talk about, especially in the heat of a pennant race. So, you know, that's my rant on the subject. But uh, I, I, like I said, I may come back next that was, year. That was a, I would give that I would give that rant like a probably like an eight point six. <laughs> like that was strong. I mean, that was like four minutes too. Like you held your breath and you went all well, in. Well, you know, I mean, the NBA thing's funny, and I, you might need to. You might need to get some. I water might need to. You. I might need to. But you know, I mean, I was. I mean, I'm. I've been a basketball fan all my life. Played yeah, basketball. I know, I, I, uh, I've heard. I've heard the basketball. You know, I've, right. I've. 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 I wrote about the Hawks for SB Nation for years. Um, you know, I hate hearing that. I mean, you can make the same case in the NFL. The NFL's changed tons. You know, you used to do a yeah. fantasy draft. First nine picks were running backs. You know, and now, you know, it's, it's their second round at best. I mean, it, there are people who are throwing the ball every time. You know, where you used to be, you used to run the ball and play play action. Is it better? Maybe. I don't know. But, you know, just saying we're not going to allow the league to evolve, um, you know, that's to me, that just, that, that that's not helping. That's stunning. That's stunning your growth. You know, I mean, the league's that zigged, uh, you know, with the defensive uh, – positioning and it's time for the offense to zag back you know and i mean they've not done it uh so you know it's just it's kind of frustrating to me i get tired of hearing it you know and we and it seems like it comes up you know too often uh now anytime you're watching a game not just the braves uh you know any anytime you tune in you know somebody's got a referendum on the shift and i don't think they really understand well so there's a couple i'm, I'm gonna give my version or my opinion of it real quick but there's a couple of things you brought up there that I 100% agree with it. And one of those is that most announcers, or at least the ones that I listen to, don't fully understand what the hell they're talking about. And so it oftentimes just comes out as ranting because they don't they do not do, you know, so many guys who, who broadcast games these days just don't do any research. They don't do any, like, fact-checking before. They just – they have an opinion that they've had since, you know, 1978, and it just had it hasn't changed since. And – They've done it so many times that they just kind of hit play and, and do it again. And that gets old. That gets old real quick. But as far as the shift goes, so here's my opinion on it. As far as the shift, pitching has advanced because of analytics and because we know that velocity has a direct correlation with getting guys out. And because every team knows that, you know, the average fastball is two or three miles an hour faster than it was 10 years ago. I mean, every single player or every single pitcher that comes out of a bullpen now, even if on bad teams, I mean, the Nationals have like five guys on their in their bullpen that throw 99 miles an hour, right? Like pitching has so drastically and quickly evolved to the point of absurdity. I mean, go click on the Pitching Ninja Twitter account and just look at the random names that he's featuring on that Twitter account and just the nasty stuff coming from the most random pitchers in baseball. 
it's not just like closers or aces or guys you've heard of. It's guys that you've never heard of who are 27, 28 years old. This is their first year in the league and they're throwing 94 mile an hour sliders. Like pitching has so rapidly evolved that I do think it's in my mind acceptable to try to help the hitters out with some rule changes and one of those being, you know, you limit the shift. And obviously the 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 trade-off of that is, you know, because the shift hitters who naturally most ground balls are pulled. I don't know if people know that, but most ground balls get pulled in major league baseball. And so that's why most hitters get shifted to their pool side. And, you know, the, the argument against has always been, well, just hit the ball the other way, but the stuff that these guys are seeing and hitting against now is so drastically better than anything we've ever seen before that I am at least in theory. Okay. With the rules helping them out a little bit because, or you got to lower the mound or back up. You know, you either got to help calm down some of this pitching evolution or you got to help the hitters, you know, with the rules. And by the way, you're 100% correct. Stop changing the freaking ball. Like, just stop changing. Like, just make it a standard. Make the standard a very small standard where it's not the range of outcomes is so big that you could get seven different balls every year, like stop changing the ball, standardize the ball and either, either do something to, to curtail some of the pitching evolution, or I'm, I'm actually okay with the shift ban, you know, in, in some respect. Now I can't get crazy. Like some of the rule changes or some of the rules that I saw uh, floated as possibilities. There was talk of like drawing white chalk lines in this. You remember that yeah. like drawing white chalk lines in the infield and <laughs> Like you can't step into this zone. This is like a no fielder zone, like stuff like that. Stuff like that's just stupid. But yeah, I'm okay with it in general. You and I definitely disagree on this. But again, I am I am with you that I do reserve the right to change my mind after seeing it. Because if it, you know, if offense explodes because you know so many ground balls are going for hits versus outs, and the game swings too wildly in the other direction, then yeah, you got to do something. I think another thing is worth mentioning too, and I know Eno Saris has talked about this a lot and written about it. You know, the pitch clock may have an a, a, an effect on velocity as well. Uh, he was talking about the, the fact that you know pitchers take longer between things because they're throwing max effort all the time. Um, you know, so I mean, there's a lot of little things. Maybe that doesn't uh, you know doesn't change or anything or, or you know affect a, a, no, a large number of guys. I'm sure it'll affect some. But you know, it's 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 worth it's worth mentioning, and uh, you know, like I say, I I enjoy, you know, I enjoy good discussion about it. You know, just don't, you know, I don't enjoy when uh, you know, a ball goes, uh, somebody beats the shift, and they're like, that's why the shift needs to go away. No, that's not why the shift needs to go away because nobody ever mentions it when it works. You know, and I've pointed that out. Right. I don't know how many times on broadcast. You know, that it'll never get, it'll never get mentioned. That ball be. You know, there'll be a ball hit back up the middle, you know, that's got that's a base hit, you know, 10 years ago. And the the shortstop's standing right behind the back, you know, and throws them out. And it never gets mentioned. You never hear it. Yeah. You know, it never is. Yeah. Done. For a hundred for 150 years, a ball up the middle was a hit yeah. like. Yeah. Every time. And now for the last probably six or seven years, a ball up the middle is basically an out every time. So, yeah, well. Well, um, moving on, you know, I, like I said, I, I said my piece I, that led, it was a perfect storm. Like I said, I was a little angry, a little testy still from, um, you know, that discussion, uh, on, on the broadcast. The, la the last, 
the last thing I'll add to this is the thing to look out for for these rule changes next year are the unintended consequences right. because that's always the thing that gets, you know, you don't really see them coming until a smart team exploits them. And so that's what I'm looking for with these rule changes. What what do the really smart teams do to exploit these rules and what are the unintended consequences? Because those are the things that usually end up leading to more changes. So that's what I'm looking for next year. Yeah, and I think that's a good that's a good point. And uh, you know, it'll be something that we'll be looking at, not just with the shift, but anything else they changed. You know, the larger bases, you know, the pitch clock, uh, the throwing over. Uh, obviously, if that makes it in, that's to me that's got that's got potential to have as big an impact as anything you know anything that I've heard discussed. Um, I think so. You know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, again, um. I want to get to our final segment here. I think, uh, you know, we, we wanted to add something new to our podcast and, uh, you know, you tweeted out a, a request for mailbag today and uh, I think you got a pretty good, uh, pretty good response, uh, con- especially considering we didn't do this till late and didn't decide to do this till uh, the last minute. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll get, we've got some mailbag questions that we want to close this thing out with. Yeah. I, uh, we've been talking about this for a couple of days about adding into the segment, just as kind of something different and new and, um, we've done it in print form before, but this is kind of the first time we're doing it on the podcast. And so I just sent out a tweet. I actually sent it out. I sent it out way later than I intended to. I got kind of busy today and, and tied up and, and I didn't send it out till about four or five o'clock. But the response has been really strong. I, I've been really pleased at how many people have kind of dropped questions or, or topics. And so we're going to change it up. You know, usually you're the one kind of asking me questions and 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 me kind of bouncing my answers off you. And we're going to go the other way this time i'm going to ask you the questions chris has not seen these unless he looked at my twitter i guess he could have seen them but he doesn't know which ones i'm going to pick so it doesn't really matter so i'm going to ask chris these questions i i handpicked uh two or three that i liked that i thought were interesting and i'm just gonna i'm gonna chris answer them and then i'll jump in if i have something to add but all right so this first one comes from austin reach um you can find him at reach underscore baseball uh, on twitter austin's a pretty good follow actually austin tweets a lot about baseball so if you if you're on Twitter, he's a good follow, but he sent me this one. This one I loved. I actually quote tweeted it, but so I'm going to send it to you, Chris. What is your prediction for Dansby Swanson's contract in the offseason? Oh, wow. Man, I hate, I hate trying to speculate I know, these I know, things. Out. I know you do. I, know I love it. <laughs> uh, Cause man, I don't have a clue. Um, I, you know, I think he's going to get six figures. I don't think you're going to get, uh, you know, with Atlanta, it's probably, you know, Five six years is probably all Atlanta's going to be comfortable going, uh, but so I've seen six one twenty is kind of floated out there maybe as a baseline. I'll say I'll say seven one one thirty five and just and and that's just a blind guess. It's probably going to be just completely wrong. I don't think you're that. I don't think you're that wrong. I, I you know Baez got one forty. Uh, Trevor Story got one forty, and you know now that. Now that the shift is coming in or the, the sh- banning the shift is is starting next year, you know, you and I were talking about this a little earlier, but, you know, shortstops who have good range, they become a lot more valuable in a world with no shifting, right? You can, when you could shift, you can kind of hide a bad defensive infielder because there's two other infielders within 20 feet of him and and you're kind of predicting where the ball is going to go. But without, without shifting, you know, the talent of your individual fielders becomes more important and, you know, Dansby's hitting the market at the best possible time. He's had the best year of his career by far. And it looks like we're going to get a ban on shifts and that's going to help him too. So I, I think you're pretty on the money with that. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if it's a little more than that. If, if 
some some rich teams get involved. So six, well, you, you said seven, seven one thirty. Yeah, and I'm, I'll be honest with you. Now that you've mentioned uh, Baez and and Story, you know, I'd like to I'd like to amend that to like seven one forty five because I would pay Dansby more than Baez every time. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's I, just me. I, I I would, and I would, and you know, from our Slack conversations, I was I'm not too high on Trevor Story either. I know he's he's probably better than I give him credit for, but. You know, I think I think Dansby's right there, and I think he could get a little more. Yeah, I yeah I so if he if he tops the Baez or Story contract, I I will not be surprised at all. So I think you're right on the money there. It will be very interesting to see what the Braves do if they don't sign Dansby, and obviously if they don't sign him, then they have to find someone else to sign. So that's going to be a big part of that's probably the biggest part of the offseason. All right, moving on. So Dayton from Nebraska. Obviously, everybody knows Dayton on Twitter, Braves America on Twitter. If you're not following him, I don't know what the hell you're doing. But um, this is from him. I thought this was a good one. Assuming the Braves don't make – or assuming the Braves don't win the division, which is still very possible. You know, I think the Mets are still favored by a pretty good amount just because of how easy their schedule is. But if the Braves don't make the – or don't win the division – and you have to choose between the Phillies or Padres and on the wild card round, who are you picking? I'd rather face the Phillies, I think, just because. Really? That's so interesting. I, I just think I would... because, uh, you know, I know they're not playing. I know the Padres are struggling a little bit right now. But, you know, just, oh, man, I'm going to get killed for this. But it just seems like, <laughs> it seems like you know, I mean, when it matters, the Braves, Braves play the Phillies good. You know, and that's, right. you, they're going back uh, since 2018, you know, when it's mattered. You know, the Phillies get them early, opening day. You know, obviously, you know, those those haven't gone Atlanta's way. But, you know, go back and look, August, September, when those when those series mattered, uh, you know, the Braves, Braves have handled them anytime they needed. Um, yeah. You know, the Padres, yeah. Padres, you know, a guy like Manny Machado, I don't know, you know, and I mean, this may not be very analytical, but a guy like Manny Machado just scares me to death in a short series because I could just see him see him going off. I mean, obviously they're not, they're not as strong without, without Tatis getting him back, but you know, you've got Soto there too. Yeah. I mean, give me the Phillies because I've seen that defense play uh, every, <laughs> every day, you know, I mean, if they're going to run those guys out there and out, and I know Bryce Harper could beat you in a three game series too, but uh, I'll take my chances with their defense. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I would go the other way just because, well, I, let me say this. It depends on Zach Wheeler's health because right. Zach Wheeler's been out for a few weeks now, and the reports were he w- it wasn't too serious. But if Zach Wheeler's healthy, and you have to go against Wheeler and Nola in a short yeah. series, yeah, that's a good point. With, with Bryce Harper, I think I would pick just because I don't trust their pitching as much. Zach Hader's been just a disaster in San Diego, yeah. and and they've had a lot of starters hurt. I think I would pick the Padres, but if Zach Wheeler is not healthy. That would change my answer because that that changes that series. So yeah, that's probably a cop, that's probably a cop. I out. mean, I mean, it's impressive too. This mailbag now you're you're like getting questions from uh, you know Braves Twitter all stars. Uh, I know. Harry. I Braves, mean, you know that's two yeah, that's Dave two Nebraska. He's that's a Hall two of big uh, that's two big questions from two big high profile Twitter accounts. So uh, you know, yep. starting out. All right, I got. We'll do since we are, we're already like crazy long here, so I'll do one more. Um, and this one kind of ties in. Well, it ties kind of after Dansby, but he. It's from Zachary Howard, and the the Twitter account is Zach underscore A underscore Howard. Um, and he asked, outside of shortstop uh, in the Dansby situation in general, what is the biggest 
or what is the most critical thing the Braves need to do in the upcoming offseason outside of shortstop? This is a this is a uh, fascinating question to me, and I, I'm glad that somebody asked it because you know I've been getting all these uh, all these tweets about next year, just like put Von Grissom in left field, but and uh, you know, and I mean that's that's in play, or if he's not at shortstop, or you know, we don't know what it's going to look like. But I, at the same time, I wonder. You know, if the Braves win, they've all these they've signed all these guys to extensions. You know, they've locked all these people up. If they locked Dansby up, you know, how would we react if they went in the off season and and they didn't? You know, all they did was sign a couple of relievers and you know maybe a starter or something because they're not going to have those big needs. You know, it, it penciled in. So right. I think you've got to solve left field. You got to find an outfielder. Um, you know, and and go there. And uh, I think that's. You know, depending, you know, bullpen's always a um, uh, a concern. You know, they'll they'll address, they'll add a reliever at some at some point in there. Uh, but you know, it is good to go into an offseason kind of by like, you know, it'd be nice if we had a guy. Um, but you know, we don't think we necessarily have to. But I think left field's the biggest um, the biggest uh, need. And then you know, of course, uh, if they don't if they don't have a bunch of needs to fill, you know, they could splurge uh obviously uh you know some whether that's at shortstop or if uh you know a starter certain certain starter in new york that i think is going to opt out you know i think that'd be <laughs> interesting um so you know i i i think they've got to address left field though um you know just with what they whether that's internally uh with a guy like grissom and uh, rolling with it but you know i just uh, maybe you know eddie rosario is going to be around we still don't know what's going to happen with marcelo zuna um but you know, I think that's a big hole too. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think I would maybe I would I would say more specifically the Marcelo Zuna situation is probably the the like the biggest impact on the rest of the team. Um, so I would probably lean that. The one caveat would be, you know, what happens with Charlie Morton if he if he if the Braves don't bring him back or. You know, we've kind of talked about if he's going to retire at the end of the year, which is definitely possible at his age. Then, you know, what do they do? What do they do in that rotation spot? It's not as critical because of the emergence of Spencer Strider and Kyle Wright, right? It's not it's not as critical as it was, say, last year when Charlie Morton was starting game one of the World Series for you. Um, that's not going to be the case now. Charlie's probably more of the number three, number four starter uh, going forward, and so – yeah, what they do at starter, obviously DeGrom is the name that everybody's going to talk about. I, I'm still skeptical that the Braves are going to pay somebody $45 million a year, especially a 35-year-old pitcher. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's, but It's fun to – Yeah, left field – it's left field and specifically Ozuna is, is probably where I would say too. Yeah. It's, it's fun to tweet about though. You know, I mean, it's fun to, it's it fun, to fun to think about. And I mean, when that came out that day, it was just so random that it was like, man, they has yeah. got it. There, there yeah, might that be, fun, that was a fun day. On yeah, I mean, there might be something to, this is so random that, you know, it made you think maybe there is something uh, to this, you know, or whatever. So, but I'm like you, I don't, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to splurge on a guy, you know, I don't, uh, you know, he's, he's shown, but you know, there's a lot of risk there. If you're going to hand out one of those Max Scherzer contracts. Well, yeah. So especially if you're paying 45, but, I mean, we talked about it earlier in this podcast, you know, if I don't think you should desire to have any, any um, position that ranked 30th uh, in, in F war in a season, you know? So, I mean, at some point, yeah, I know they're going to be banking on Eddie Rosario being better uh, next year. 
but and I, I potentially we talked about this. I don't really want them to have a a designated day, DH. I'd like to see that move around uh, as adverse as they are to yeah, giving guys days off. You know, just use that to rest guys. Uh, but you got to add some depth if you're going to do yeah. that. So it'll be interesting. And you got to get rid of Ozuna. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the big thing. Um, you know, like I said, <laughs> we've been uh, we've been predicting his demise now for 12 episodes and he's, he's still here. He's, so he's still around. So. All right. Well, I think that's it. Uh, we will probably never go this long again, but we probably <laughs> owed you guys after a short episode last week. So, uh, um, yeah. you know, yeah. here, here you go. Uh, uh, podcast to be named later. I love it. Um, and, uh, you know, here's to a bunch more episodes coming up. Uh, you know, if you guys got suggestions for us, let us know topics, uh, you know, Twitter mail, mailbag is going to become a permanent, um, uh, segment. So great, great questions, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Chris with a K underscore Willis. And, uh, Steven is uh B underscore outliers. And, uh, we'll see you guys again next week. More to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.